Welcome to Religious Studies News. I'm your host, Christian Peterson, and today I'm here with Leela Prasad, who is an associate professor of religious studies at Duke University and was awarded an AAR individual research grant. She's here to speak to us about that project entitled Moved by Gandhi, a documentary film. Congratulations, Leela. Thanks for joining me. Thank you. Thank you very much. So the film's subject is not the historical Gandhi. It's, uh, it's a film about Gandhi, but not about Gandhi in a way. So what are you trying to capture in this film? That's a great question, Christian. First of all, let me thank the AR formally for this fantastic support. Uh, you know, there are these seed projects that one wants to do this sort of part of one's, you know, passion and then, but they're hard to get funding for. And so the AR support, both intellectually, but also financially makes a big difference to getting a seed project off the ground. And this is exactly one of those things. So my kind of formal thanks out there. So, but your question is a really good one, and uh, it's sort of the raison d'etre of the film. It is about Gandhi in the sense uh, the subject is Gandhi. You know, it's about the historical persona called Gandhi, who had and was born in 1869 and lived in South Africa, came back to India, and um, did various things, uh, part of which are just part of a huge legend right now, and some historians and some. Um, Gandhi interested people know something about his life and he's certainly a world figure so in that sense it is about Gandhi but it's also a kind of exploring the Gandhi who may not be contained by that historical narrative or contained within it um, who lives on in people's lives you know who may not know people who may not know a lot about his chronology his uh, his life experiences per se in a particular kind of fashion it's so it's that kind of, you know, what I call the evocative Gandhi. The Gandhi who's evoked a certain sensibility in people and who's moved people. So it's, in a sense, that Gandhi. So it's, yes, it is about Gandhi and it isn't about Gandhi. The Gandhi we kind of know through books. The film is not about that one. So it's not the biographical Gandhi as such, but it's the reimagined one. And as I've said somewhere else, you know, he, it's sort of the Gandhi who, who always, the film is going to be is exploring right now the, the Gandhi who exceeds the historical narrative, the chronological story. Um, it's really about emotional movement and um, the resonance of Gandhi. So the film is really about the resonance of Gandhi. Yeah. You're looking at a multitude of perspectives. And from the people you've talked to, who is the Gandhi they reconstruct? And why do you think they construct him in these ways? Are there possible reasons we can account for potential differences, such as geography or age or socioeconomic status? What have you found so far? So far, the people we've spoken to... Um connect to Gandhi and reconstruct him for a lot of different reasons, as you've guessed. Uh, and, and it's hard to kind of map those on to kind of any kind of a grid <clears throat> because it's really kind of, the, a kind of an emotive connection. Um, it is a connection that comes alive because of a certain kind of... Uh, something moves people about the story about Gandhi they know. Some of these people have actually met Gandhi. A few of them actually. Right now we are trailing the stories of a couple of people who are in their 90s who actually met Gandhi for brief um, even moments of time but that those brief encounters initiated such a huge transformation not a very visible one you know as transformations go but a deep one uh, 
and 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 it's something about that that moment of connect that has stayed with them for their lives and to give you the sort of the inspiration the inspiration for the film was um this um, well now he's 94 <clears throat> this 94 year old man that i knew in, as part of my field work in this town called shringeri which is in the malnad mountains of south india of karnataka state called karnataka and you go upwards from the from well the nearest city would be bangalore and you go up uh, into the mountains and there is a town called shringeri and i had done all my pri- prior work there and in the course of that field work uh, came to know this particular family really well of uh, and one of them uh, one of the members of that family was um, mr murthy and uh, he had narrated to me his um, the the experience of his encounter with gandhi must have lasted for maybe 30 seconds even less who knows um, but a very brief uh, encounter and this was when he was in his uh, you know a young guy who was quite a rebel you know caught up in the heat of the freedom movement india's freedom struggles and uh, just pushed off to stay in uh, one of uh, gandhi's ashrams in you know the arid part of india back then in back of beyond place in a state called maharashtra and he went and stayed there he didn't tell his parents he didn't tell his family he pushed off and stayed there in gandhi's ashram for about 21 days uh doing really just participating in the activities of that of the ashram of that place got quite immersed in it and it was uh, it was all all along known that it was a short stay but one of the things he did during that stay was to shadow gandhi followed him everywhere and in the following gandhi everywhere and watching him a certain kind of awakening must have happened um, and i never quite realized it until i went back to this ashram 70 years after this man had visited the place but at the end of that uh, visit that 21 stay there mr murthy who was a young boy then as i said met gandhi and had uh, and i don't want to do spoiler alerts for the film so i won't say a whole lot about what happened but they had a very brief mediated exchange there was someone else in that group and on the surface of it it seems like a, a very casual remark that gandhi may have said you know something like you know sky had uh, the 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 person who was intervening said or oh, these boys are going back to their town hometowns they promised to do everything you say and all that gandhi said was um, let us see and uh, somehow that made such a lasting impression on this man he came back to his hometown um, never really talked about it or you know wrote a little bit about it in the newspapers he's been quite active as a teacher and a writer uh but then uh, that story lay buried within him just setting off a whole kind of transformation and I, no one ever knew about this or you know, it wasn't a big deal until i heard the story and we uh, decided that we would take him back to the ashram and it was following him around the place where he visited place site after site in that same ashram that i said it suddenly came home to me my god gandhi's really moved this man So the film explores those kinds of invisible imperceptible moments in which someone comes to inhabit someone else's uh, ethical scape if you know what I mean um and effects a transformation so so that's sort of the long answer to that um why um people come are inspired or affected by Gandhi for lots of different reasons some of them include 
disagreements, you know, uh, quite intense disagreements about Gandhi. One of the professors that we interviewed uh, who teaches Gandhi in a university in India said, you know, I really strongly disagree with a lot of his uh, politics and his philosophy, but I can't get him out of my skin. So it's the way in which Gandhi has stayed on in people's imaginary uh, that this film really tries to get to. And it's very embodied. It's very um, thoughtful. It's very imperceptible at the same time that it is embodied. And so the filmic medium becomes really one place uh, to sort of explore that kind of moral influence. So you've done a lot of previous scholarship both as a documentary filmmaker and as an ethnographer. So I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit about where this film fits in your broader scholarship and what motivated you to pursue this project. You talked a little bit about how this initial moment sparked the interest, but uh, what made you kind of pursue it further? Well, the ethnography part is, uh, is yeah, as you've said, you know, I, is something that I've been doing for a long time. So uh, the hanging around, the hanging around people and chatting with them open-endedly um, is very much, still very much the main method for this film. It's, uh, uh, it's both self-conscious, but it's also deeply unself-conscious. You just go with the flow of conversation. Some things work out, some things don't work out, and that's fine. You just take whatever comes. So, so there is a certain continuity of method here but the film i've not done that much of you know um, intense documentary filmmaking myself i've co-directed one more documentary film but there's something about the fit of um the filmic medium the documentary ethnographic film to this subject that persuaded me that this was really something that i wanted to do and that was really you know as i said the embodiment of emotion um, one can verbalize this through stories and tell you an anecdote and, you know, you hear this and you can write about it. And language, you know, written language and spoken language does one kind of work. Um, but it has its limitations. It was really, as I said, you know, watching people talk about Gandhi, um, following them. Um, and since Gandhi was so much about praxis, you know, action and the doing of something, it seemed like, you know, how does that look, you know, in terms of a whole other medium? It seemed like film would have to capture the silences of emotional movement, the gaps, the the thoughtfulness, which can be evoked in one particular kind of way in the written medium. But really, I thought that this it, it's, it has got to be film that does that kind of visual um, and silent kind of work too. I mean, it has a lot of speech in it, obviously, but it also, um, the challenge of the filmmaking process itself is something that was just, just grabs me. You know, how do you construct, uh, how do you construct an archive of images um, and moments, if you will, that will ultimately speak to the sensibility of the film itself? Um, so, for instance, let me sort of explain that. So, there will be a moment in which someone's telling a story, and I know what that feels like. I know what the interpretation of that could possibly be because of a relationship I might have with the individual. But how to evoke that in film, then you turn to all kinds of other imagery that might capture that moment, like ripples on water, like the sound of wind, who knows, you know, I mean, all kinds of things out there. And building a random really quite a random database of imagery and sound and 
things, phenomena that ultimately will um, be part of the story that the film tries to tell. And I won't know the story of the film until it is actually done, which is also exactly the way I do my ethnographic work. There isn't a script that I go in with. I mean, there's a thing that, I mean, for sanity's sake, there is a script. <laughs> but but it it's mostly a question of, you know, taking a risk and jettisoning that script to go with whatever you find out there. So in that case, you know, I know that we know that this film is about the Gandhian resonance. Um, but exactly how it narrates itself is up to these conversations that are happening. Yeah, I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit more about the process of making the film. So what, what steps does one need to take to produce a documentary? How do you balance this preparation with flexibility? Um, what role uh, does collaboration play? What, what have you learned about making a film? A lot. And it's an ongoing process. It's just uh, a fabulous ongoing process. F it's full of surprises. I think, you know, I'm going to start the start at the point, let's see, you've got your funding. <laughs> you <know? laughs> you've got your funding. What do you do next? I think you first figure out the technical expertise you need. And if you don't have it, you know, at least to learn the language of the game so that you can start collaborating and finding people who would work in sync with you and you in sync with him or her. Uh, and for us, you know, I'm working with my husband on this, you know, because he's also interested in Gandhi for lots of different reasons. Uh, and so there's, um, he's a management consultant and a business school professor. And, uh, but he's interested in visionary leadership and innovation. And Gandhi offers him some complex story out there. So he comes to this with a different set of interests. And that's actually really good because it sort of highlights, you know, the limitations of one's own perspective on something. So you figure out, you know, who you want to collaborate with, you know, in terms of the actual fieldwork and the interviews and the hanging out and the travel and what have you. In, uh, in my team, we have a cinematographer who actually does the, the shooting when we're doing these interviews uh, or conversations. You know, the very few are actually structured interviews. They're just really following people and being with them. Um and one of the, you know, the, the camera persons is his, has, has done a lot of uh, work on um, photography, on finding stories of interest, on following paths that take you to stories that otherwise don't get documented, and particularly in then recording the stories of an older generation. So that was just, uh, and we loved her aesthetics. I think that's, you know, to pare it down, uh, on the matter of collaboration, it's good to have a basic rapport and an understanding on the broad aesthetic mm, that that one shares. There's got to be differences, but there's also sort of, you know, you can't be like completely strung in totally different directions. So there's a basic meeting ground of aesthetic perspectives, you know, that that feels like a good shot or this part of the story just really pulls at you. And then, you know... Um, and people who are willing to take risks are your collaborators, you know, who will go off and be shooting things that might not be used and used. And um, so I think you figure out who you want on your team, um, who will push your horizons and hold up your limitations, but also with whom you have some sort of common ground. 
Um, I think the technical expertise simply has to be. So whoever, it could be you, it could be someone else, but got to know your camera. You just have to understand the camera, the lens, the, the tripod you use, uh, whatever it is, or if it's just a cell phone. I mean, hey, but that part of it, you know, is, um, just has to be in place. Just as like, you know, when you're uh, recording stories on a tape recorder, you're, you know, I've done so many interviews where the system has just completely failed me. You know, I see the blinking lights on my recorder die and I know it's gone. <laughs> and then it is, okay, I'm just going to listen to the rest of this, you know, use my ears um, so I think it's it's a it's a really great question of what do you need to do to get it off the ground um, technical expertise for lines of collaboration uh, and a plan going forward that's one thing I've learned that I don't necessarily do when I'm doing my own kind of ethnographic work written for a written monograph I don't really have a particular plan I just have an idea what I want to do and I go with it and then then change the template as is fit <laughs> but with working with these you know these other folks on board you know particularly the the camera people and the cinematographers you know um they insist you know they ask for you know what do you want to do next where do you want to go and um what are you looking for and that's always been a little hard to have the kind of answer to that question because you really have psyched yourself into believing this is this has got to be open-ended. So within that broad framework of open-endedness, there are lines that you kind of have to know. Otherwise, you know, you won't know where to travel and what to do next. And for instance, why do you want a shot of the river? Why do you want a shot of twilight? Obviously, there's something out there, you know both intrinsically valuable things are beautiful or not beautiful or haunting or compelling in some way but it's also about okay there's something about this environment that is speaking to the film's um, mission now in terms of completing the film what what would you like to do with the project where where are you at and where are you going the film has had a kind of a geographical reorientation. It was going to be looking at um, talking to people in the Israel-Palestine area. And uh, that, because of the conflicts in that area, has had to sort of refocus its, uh, its possibilities. And so it's now, you know, and eventually we'll get around to it. You know, I'm sure that's going to happen. It's a valuable part of the whole film. But there may be a film one and film two and film three sequence to this. Right now, we have now focused on talking to different individuals within India, uh, in Bangalore, in Hyderabad, in certain parts of North India, and gathering stories. Where is the film time-wise? You know, um, I think all the footwork, the footage will all be done by the middle of next year, next summer, we intensely edit. So by, before the year is up, 2016, so we are off the timeline a little bit, but before 2016 is over, the film will be, the documentary film will be done and out. Well, Leela, thank you so much for telling us about the project and congratulations again on your award. Thank you very much. The pleasure has really been mine. Thank you very much, Kristen. <laughs>